0: Welcome to Improv Interviews, and today I have a very special guest from across the water in the UK, and it's Allie Turnbull. Good morning, Allie, or good afternoon, good I'm morning. sorry. Good
1: afternoon, yes.
0: <laughs> I'm so delighted to have you here. You're just a brilliant woman and a champion for people with Parkinson's disease, and we met through our mutual friend and beloved Robert Corcoran. Uh, I think that was how we met. And so I'd like to ask you to tell me, tell me about, a little bit about your life before you were diagnosed and then we'll go from there. Okay,
1: well, I've been a, a writer and editor all my life and I've largely worked on other people's stuff. And when you're, when you're a freelance, you don't retire, like you don't have a day when somebody gives you a gold watch and a, and a tease made and things. You just stop saying yes as often. And gradually, you you give you give the work to somebody who's younger and hungrier for it. So I kind of retired, and I was getting sort of slow anyway. But I thought I was just getting old. Um, And my running—I was running, but I was running really slowly. And I got to a stage where I stopped taking exercise because um, my right foot was saying, uh, "Hey, let's go out and play." And my left foot was saying, oh, oh I don't want to play. Not today. <laughs> and I had this sort of shuffling gait and everything else. So, um, and so I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my retirement. And sort of, well, Parkinson's just came and fit the gap, really, filled the gap. And people say you shouldn't let Parkinson's rule your life. Well, it does, but in a good way.
0: Yes, you're certainly a great example of that. How long ago were you diagnosed, Ali? Uh August 2019. So that's two
1: and a half years now.
0: Brilliant. And you look fantastic. Our viewers can hear you but not see you, although they see a picture of you. Yes. And uh oh wow. And you have a box positive shirt on. So you even though you didn't want to exercise before, you're really tell us about the exercises that you're doing to help yourself. Well, the first thing my doctor said, my, my general practitioner
1: said. Uh, before she referred me to the specialist was because there's a, a huge gap between seeing your your family doctor and seeing your hospital doctor and, and which is a horrible place to be a horrible limbo to be and she said what you must do is take exercise don't stop moving because I thought oh because I had all sorts I didn't know anything about Parkinson's I thought it was all about being disabled and she said, keep moving. And I thought, well, okay. So I started reading about keep moving and somebody, I found a mentor, somebody who'd already trodden my path, as it were. And she got me onto reading the Norman Deutsch books about the brain healing itself. And that's what really got me into into exercise as the medicine. Obviously, I do take meds, but they just help me do the medicine that is the, 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 essence of what i I believe in the whole issue of neuroplasticity which is which is yeah (laughs) well i'm almost evangelic evangelical about neuroplasticity
0: pardon i'm almost evangelical about it oh yes my me as well it's totally incredibly useful for people to understand it and not give up and sit in a corner now Allie, um, you mentioned somebody, the author of that book. I didn't quite catch that. George? Norman Deutsch. Okay. The brain, he's got two, The Brain's Way of Healing and How the Brain Heals Itself. I'll have to check into those. Those are lovely references. So you're toddling along, and then uh, what happens? What else happens in your life? Um, my, I, well, I
1: start looking at different kinds of exercise because I was doing, I did the PD warrior, the Australian based um, um, neuroplastic course with a 10 week course with lots of big, powerful amplitude movements.
0: Um, I wonder wonder if that's what we call the LSVT program in the States. Um, uh, Well, LSVT's got the loud speech therapy thrown
1: into it as well. But anyway, it's just all about big, powerful movements. Yes. And And somebody said, well, you should, uh, boxing was one of them. And I thought, boxing. Uh, And I looked up, you've got a franchise over there, Rocksteady Boxing. We have two in the the UK, we have two Rocksteady Boxing franchises, which both are about 150 miles away from me. You know, I'm in the middle of two of them. So I thought, well, what do I do? And I have a personal trainer called Debbie, who's marvellous. And she runs a, a kick boxer size class. Which I've just come in from actually. So that's why I've got the t-shirt on. Um, and she runs this kickbox class and it's amazing. And it's mainstream, it's not a it's not a Parkinson special. It's just a, a bunch of ladies who just like <laughs> hitting each other with pads, basically.
0: Oh, isn't that wonderful? Now are you doing that virtually or doing it in person?
1: We're doing it back, doing it in person. I can't do shadow boxing, I can't do air boxing because I have to have something to make a noise with you know really right, right. yeah <laughs> and i have to look another girl in the face and go you know, and really, really works because uh so box i didn't do any boxing before um but of course um uh, when i first met, first met robert funnily enough the first thing he says do we call you ali or ali and I said, well, it depends if I've been boxing. If I've been boxing, you can call me Ali, Ali. You float like a butterfly. Like a bee. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so that's that's how the boxing took off. And I, I love doing that. Um, I So I still run. I'm, I'm still quite a bit... Sh- r- sh- <laughs> Uh, slow and shuffly and I don't mind if the bits where I trip over my tongue you keep in the recording because that's all part of my Parkinson's.
0: Absolutely really. and that's why the yeah. vocal exercises are so important too yeah. I think. Yes, working exactly. The, working our facial muscles all yeah. of our muscles and vocalizations.
1: Yeah so where do we get to oh yeah then my friend Penny said uh, a long-term editor friend she said Ali you must write. Yes. And well, I, I believe that everybody with with Parkinson, well, everybody in retirement with Parkinson should be doing something creative. Well, I can't knit, I don't, I can't paint. I can, there are lots of other stuff that I can't do. I can make music, but I can't. There's, but I think writing has been a real lifesaver for me because it's such it's such fun to do.
0: And you're so good at it. I'm hoping our listeners will be going over and taking a look at some of your oh, writing. So. Just I brilliant. Just went
1: into some of my back back catalogue as well the other day. You've you've uh, found something from the from a, a blog a while back, which is nice because the the stuff doesn't date particularly, and it's it's got um it's got there's, there's lots of stuff in there that I, I occasionally sort of bring back and and recycle if you like. Right. But the well, thing about Parkinson's is, is it's not a, um, a one-trick pony it's got there's for a writer it's it's rich seam of of content because there are so many weird and wacky symptoms and we all of us everybody was nobody with two people with Parkinson's are the same have the same symptoms the same experience I don't have the same experience from today to tomorrow um, you know everything that the, it, it's all every day is different and so for every one of these silly symptoms, like I don't know, micrographia, for example, um, small handwriting, I will take a, like a problem-solving approach and I'll say, well, um, what, what, what is my experience of this? How am I dealing with it? And I'll just try and put some of my own experience, but like my handwriting when I was a little girl, I've got a sample of it and, and to, to show and the pen I was using and all that sort of stuff. So I'll put some things in from my time at school and in the, the brownies and the girl guides and all that stuff because it's unique to me. And it's, and it's, it's all come out as kind of relevant. So I just enjoy doing that, that, solving a problem. And then what I don't want to do is for people to say, i don't want to say to people you should do it this way here are my five top tips (laughs) because i think so many of that kind of bossy stuff that says i'm the only you know i'm the only way this is the only snake oil that's going to work for you um i don't believe that (laughs) works i I just say here's what i did give it a go um if it doesn't work do something else but
0: give it a go now you've said two things that I wanted to get back to. Um, one of the phrases we use, or I use, is, "If you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's." Because: I've
1: not heard that before, but it, absolutely yes.
0: Everybody's so different. And then you said how it's so important for people with Parkinson's to find something to do, a purpose, something that's going to mm-hmm. be important for them. That is important for all of us seniors. I don't like the word seniors, but you know, when people retire. I live in a retirement community in Naples, Florida and quite frequently- You're not
1: old enough to live in a retirement community. Come well, on. the
0: town of Naples has a lot of people that are quite aged, but- um, Costa Geriatrica, they call it, no? <laughs> what do they call it? Costa
1: Geriatrica.
0: <laughs> and I used to work with a hospice. And so I would see people towards the end of their life. And um, a lot of times it would be men who are high powered executives they retired, they came to Florida, and they lost their sense of purpose. They weren't mm-hmm. in charge anymore, they weren't in control, they weren't using their minds, and often they just faded away. Mm-hmm. Now that's anecdotal on my part. Yeah. However, I think that's true, not just with Parkinson's, but with anything. That's why we need to keep exploring new things and taking mental risks and sometimes physical risks.
1: I think it's important too not to get sucked into a, a Parkinson's vortex of where you only meet old people with Parkinson's that you stick with your mainstream activities you do. If, for example, um, if, you're, if you're a member of a, you've been a long-term member of a golf club and you've got all your friends are in the golf club and you think, oh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, you know, I, I suppose what I, I don't play golf. It's, it's, it's a bit rubbish on, on, on that one it's not one of my specialties but um i i the thing i would do if it that were me would be to go to the pro and say my swings you know i think having a bit of trouble with my swing can you can we do some exercises to, to do it better? um accept that your handicap might be different um accept that you've got to set lower targets but still enjoy the clubhouse, still enjoy the camaraderie of the golf club. Don't leave the golf club just because you've got, you think uh, you have a disability. That's that's really important.
0: That's so wonderful. My dad who had Parkinson's was a great golfer. He loved playing golf. It was kind of his life after he retired. And um, one day uh, he fell out of the golf cart, cart. He had already been diagnosed. And so he was too embarrassed to play anymore. No. I know, I know it was very sad. And um, I hadn't discovered improv at that point, at that stage yeah. uh, of my life and of his progression. Yeah. Um, and that's such important because you can go and, you know, sit and have a ginger ale with them at the clubhouse or something like yeah. that, and stay connected with your friends somehow. That's and also what- they, they can see what your life is like, that it, it's not so bad yes you take away the stigma there's such a stigma about parkinson's yes. you know it's an old person's disease you're going to shake a lot and all of well, these. my
1: my hospital files i i'm in a, a department called elderly care <laughs>
0: exactly
1: um i'm going with a felt pen next time i'm going to um, scribble it out i think but uh, uh, i think one thing also that ha- people get sucked into a vortex of 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 mixing with people with Parkinson's carers get very scared and start kind of ordering the stair lift immediately kind of thing yes
0: Um, yes your
1: your partner will probably be about 10 12 years before they need any kind of mobility aid if you know that's that's what I'm hoping for me I'm hoping that you know there'll be a a while and I heard a very sad story about a um the wife of a, a gentleman who they lived by a canal and he he watched the boats go by and he just loved, loved seeing everything, connecting with people and running up and down the towpath and helping with the lock gates and everything. And she wanted to move him to a, a bungalow on the other side of town where he didn't know anybody. And I think people are too quick sometimes to um, to, to make decisions about about caring and disability and things, and they they just go rubber stamp you as disabled, and then that's it. And I think that's that's a very sad way to go. So I think really, my daughter put it really well. My my daughter's amazing. She said to me, Mum, if you change your hairstyle, you're still the same person you were yesterday before you had it cut yes and if and she said Parkinson's is the same if you have um um if you have Parkinson's you're still the same mum that I know I've always known I haven't changed
0: some some chemical stuff has changed inside me but I haven't changed that's lovely and that's so beautiful and it's so true but mentioning the care partner you know, uh, uh, there's a higher percentage of men that are diagnosed with Parkinson's than women. And, and so often it's the wife who's the care partner. And so many times they think they're helping, but they're really controlling. So for example, when I was doing my improv classes in in person, and I'd have you know, care partner come in with their spouse who had PD, um, often often they would try to answer for their spouse with PD and I would encourage them to just sit with it we we have long pauses we wait for people to be able to speak or think of something or they want to or make a movement but I really in fact at one point I told one wife please move to the other side of the room. And then, the, side of the house, yeah. And uh, this is for him. And this is when we were in real time, you know, in person classes, because she would keep telling him what to do and how to say it or he got it wrong. And, you know, in improv, there's no wrong. There's no failures. Um, and uh, I think Michael J. J. Fox did a lot to help with the stigma. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: absolutely. So I want to ask you, did you ever do any acting as, as a young person? Oh, I spent
1: more time
0: um, at, at university. I, went, I spent more
1: time in the uh, university theater than I did at my studies, so yes. Although, um, oh, I was more a stage manager. I more liked to, you know, the, the headphones and the fixing and the um, sorting the lights out and that kind of thing. So, um, but I, I mixed with dramatic people at school. I wrote silly sketches for for school oh, reviews and lovely. and um, funnily enough, um, they came back to bite me. I, I um, because I met my first husband because I'd been in a sketch at school with a f- friend of his. Oh, it was complicated. But somebody somebody came up to me and said, uh, "I've got somebody here who recognises you, rem- remembers you from your Andy Pandy days." Now Andy Pandy was a was um, a children's car- car- um, television character in the 1950s and 60s. And I, I'd done a silly sketch about Andy Pandy and that all came back. So I, I, I liked sort of parody and writing silly songs and stuff. So yes, there's a, a, bit, of, a bit of improv in there, but I kind of hadn't done much in the meantime, really.
0: Because I I understand in the in the UK and other parts of Europe, the Keith Johnstone method is taught a lot, whereas in the States, we kind of use Viola Spolin as our ground groundwork. Um, But however we learn it. So wait a minute. So were you ever on stage? Did you ever have a role that you? Oh, yeah, you did. You did. Were you on stage doing the parody?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was on stage being Andy Pandy. So in in, (laughs) in, in pajamas. but uh, I didn't much like being on stage. I didn't, yeah. um, I, I, but I liked being around the people who did.
0: Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. So um, growing up when you did, were you a fan of Monty Python? Yes. Yes.
1: Um, yeah. Well, let's let's go back. Let's go back because I'm
0: quite old. Let's go back to the Goon Show. Yes, yes. Okay. And that was Peter, Show. Peter
1: Sellers. Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, and occasionally a guy called Michael Benteen. They were very funny.
0: Yes, yes. And then then
1: there was Python and all that sort of era. And I mean, now the the comedy we have is, the, the range of comedy we have is is amazing. You've caught us on a a day after we've been mourning the loss of a a very, very, well, I think this 86, so, um, a guy called Barry Cryer, who was one of the, the, the fathers of, of, of comedy. And one of the, the great improv shows we have is something called, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't.
0: I'm sorry, I haven't
1: um, a clue. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Well. There's lots of games in that, that that are the sort of games that we've been playing in improv, which, which are fun. But um, the anyway the, the the comedy talent that we have now, young and old, is is amazing. You there is there's some some comedians I find a bit anatomical and a bit rude and they say f a lot. But I I you can you can pick and choose. You don't have to uh, you don't have to laugh at everybody.
0: Well, immediately I thought of Russell Brand. Or Brandon. Yeah, he's kind of. Yeah. But there was a Craig Ferguson, who's from Scotland, yeah. I really love a lot, uh, yeah. quite a bit. Um, yeah. And there's such a wide field of people. And women are getting, you know, there was a point where people didn't think women were funny. Now, in improv, we don't necessarily try to be funny, but we are funny in the reality yeah. of what we do. Um, and it's so wonderful to see women recognized now as, yeah. you know, an improv started in the States. It was like four white men standing on a stage. Mm. you know, And it's really evolved. Women and people of different color, nationalities are included now, which makes it lovely. So mm. um, let me ask you, uh, were you a big Beatle fan growing up when you did?
1: At the time, yes. But then I sort of defected to the Rolling Stones a bit. Yes. <laughs>
0: That's really funny. Yes, I actually, um, I was the reverse. I was Rolling Stones all the time. I didn't like the Beatles at all. And then as I grew older, I older, I liked the Beatles, too. But yeah, did you ever see the Stones in concert? No. I've seen them three times. Yeah. But, um, let's get back to you, Allie. um the garbage yes. trucks are picking up in the background, so we may hear that noise. um well, tell-
1: can' pick up any stray words I don't want to use anymore Yeah. okay,
0: I'm sorry what the
1: garbage trucks can pick up any stray words that i I don't want to use anymore so
0: <laughs> okay so, tell me how you found out about improv for p d when was that, and how did you find out about it? i, I
1: i in preparation, I've been trying to remember where I first clicked on on Robert's site and when it, that first all happened, but uh, I must have I'm a I'm a very kind of butterfly reader through social media. Things will pass beyond, before my eyes. I'll think, oh yeah, that's interesting. And I'll follow a thread and, and there it goes. Um so I started I started with him. In September, um, and I started getting up. He was doing classes at six o'clock California time, six p.m. California time, which is two o'clock in my morning. And I got up, and um, my bottom half was still in pajamas. I put I, I put something respectable on the top, but uh, so I was getting up at two o'clock in the morning to do an hour's improv with him. So I wasn't always at my sharpest, but now I'm doing. Now he's moved the times. I'd realized I'm not my sharpest at that time of day. Anyway, maybe I'm not sharp at all. Um, so I started doing that. And um, and then I joined his cohort of research research people. So that, yeah. was, that was a chance to, to improve at a sensible time of day for me. And what I very quickly realized that my neuroplasticity exercises the, 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 the physical exercises, the, the waving my arms and legs around and, and, and retraining them, that I would get to the end. It wasn't a, just because it was three o'clock in the morning. I would get to the end of his class and I would be buzzing in a, almost a cardiovascular sort of way as if I had done a, a run or a, or a row or a, a, a physical class that my brain was hurting. But I, I felt and and it was quite difficult to get back to sleep after that so uh, i just i just felt that i had had exercise neuroplastic exercise in my head
0: well yes and i'm so glad he changed the time it works out perfectly for me as well yeah <laughs> and you mentioned robert's research um do you know what the research is that he's doing right now well I, th- I think it's up to
1: up to him to tell you what's what the hypothesis sure. is and he's, right. he's he's holding a little stuff back because um i I know that I know there were two classes doing different things, and I have no idea what the other classes were doing, so no right. uh, you have to ask him i think but
0: I will ask him yeah, I didn't mean his, so.
1: the sessions he did were very like the sessions we've been doing, you and me together with him, so they open they open with the music and then they have the power word and then they play the games and then they wind up so the sessions were very similar
0: can you describe power word for our listeners power words
1: um well once we've once we've all bopped along to a a groovy piece of music of somebody's choice they um he flashes up some um a bunch of words that and you look at them and it's the same bunch of words every week but somehow from week to week i forget what they are and you're going to ask me um you're going ask me what they are <laughs> um and people pick a word like joy or um oh pour gas on it or color that in for me you know you probably remember them better than i do Yeah, i
0: think joy we don't want to go down the list joy is one of them and then each person is going to say what they're joyful about is that right uh, do i remember yeah but
1: you, if you're not feeling joyful you go for something else that's yes yeah it gives everybody a chance to say what their feelings say with a hook rather than just saying i feel rubbish today
0: right 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 Um, right right yes i i do a game where we don't we show don't tell that's a small one game and we just show our emotion don't say what it is everybody has to copy it so we work on big facial movements yeah and uh I love that game, but I love everything Roberts taught me as well. He's such a, yeah. such a generous man, really yeah. great, yeah. so you got hooked pretty well. Did you ever think about taking other improv classes uh, my
1: how did i find how did i find yeah how did I find you then i don't I can't remember. Well, how did you well, find that? I, I know I found you because you did a podcast like this with Robert and then that's it. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And um, but there's actually uh, a lot of stuff is still virtual. So, for example, um, I've taken classes with people in um, improv groups from Liverpool and London that were all virtual. I didn't yeah. go there. So that's been fun too. And and it's so much fun for you. I always encourage us taking I take too many classes i I'm, I'm am I have a job still, but I take too many classes every week and I love it. Well, the great, the great
1: thing about the the virtual and the, and the whole pandemic thing is that I wouldn't be here talking to you if we were hadn't gone into lockdown and had to and the, the whole Zoom thing hadn't started. That that's a real real tipping point if you think about it because why would I how why and how would I be in touch with somebody in California or Naples Florida or wherever if we hadn't gotten got together on Zoom
0: exactly so that's been a blessing of the pandemic and I I was going to ask a rather personal question about how the pandemic affected you
1: okay well um, so I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2019. Uh, then following march we locked down and the the whole thing's kicked off i had got and they called they were talking about the new normal they were saying how are we going to settle into the new normal well i'd already had eight or nine months finding my new normal with parkinsons but this other new normal was actually a piece of cake um it it was just very simple to to get into and also, it gave me a chance to, you know, not do so much, get out in the fresh air, not do so much. Start the blog, be creative, do stuff. Because I hadn't got commitments, I wasn't, um, I wasn't uh, traveling to anywhere, so I could be more creative, and, and I, I, I did me a
0: favour, I think. I agree with you. I think that's pretty true. And, you know, for me, I've been in Africa, in India, the UK, Sweden, and it's just been incredible, you know, so, um, and of course, meeting you and the other fantastic people with Robert. I mean, it's just been a blessing. Yeah. There's a lot of things to it um now let 's get back to your wonderful blog because we 're going to put the um the link to the blog and you know this podcast right up and um, I think whether you have parkinson 's or not there's a positive tone to what you write about, and you catalogued so many different topics
1: Yes, as I said earlier, I think that there's a it's just a rich seam of topics. I have not yet run out of ideas.
0: <laughs> that's terrific it is wonderful and, and yet, big- if you had another
1: if you had another long-term condition with one symptom
0: what would i find to write about
1: and i don't write about and people don't i don't write about the the. i do have down times i have sad times when i'm feeling rubbish i don't write about them because actually that's boring for me to do and it's it, it would bring me down to to, to be negative um so I, I let other people muse and and be be sad and 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 I try and cheer them up in a, in a message, but uh, I don't write about the times I'm feeling rubbish.
0: That's absolutely brilliant. I love that because you know, if you look at Facebook, a lot of people. I don't know if you do. Yes, you do Facebook. Yes. A, lot, a lot of people are just posting their complaints and their sadness and the despair they're feeling. And, and, their, and their every bowel
1: movement and stuff is just <laughs> ghastly. <laughs> there, are, there are some very, 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 yes, there are some people who are saddened by their Parkinson's and I'm saddened by their sadness. But if I were to adopt that baggage, I, I, I couldn't be the strong person that I am because I think um, I can't carry, although I'm strong, I'm carrying my own baggage. Yes. But I, I can I'm quite happy for you to bring your baggage, open it up, show me and shut it but take it away again after the <laughs> That's
0: kind of what I do as a therapist. Yes, you <laughs> can carry it all. That's a wonderful yes. metaphor. Oh, I'm I'm stumped. I was just thinking about something about in, the blog. About oh, about the blog. Yes, yes, yes. No. And um, I, I again, I love the positivity to it. Oh, I know what I was going to say about emotions affect our physical being. Now, you, I'm sure, know about a lot of the benefits of laughter yes. and what it does to boost our immune system and the wonderful hormones and chemicals it produces. And conversely, how the stress response or fear Will really deteriorate things in our body very quickly. Even the way we stand, the way we hold ourselves um, says a lot about, you know, (laughs) we both stood, we both sat (laughs) up, we both did our best posture.
1: Um,
0: It's really, and that's what improv does because you're in the moment. We know the present moment is so Mm. important. You're not in the past, you're not in the future, you're in the now and you're paying attention to the now. Yeah. and it's such a gift we get. So uh, are you working on the, the, your next blog?
1: Yes, I am. Um, I'll give you a little preview. It is about, it is it is for supporters because supporters sometimes don't know when you want help or when you want to be fiercely independent. And it isn't a, a, an A or B thing. There's a long line between, a long continuum between fiercely independent and totally blooming useless. And, and today I might feel, I really want to get on and do this thing on my own, whatever it is on my own. And tomorrow I'll say, oh, could you help me with this? And people don't know because the whole f- role of occupational therapists is to, to help you to be independent. But if you guys are going to miss a bus because I'm still getting my coat on, or if the conductor is about to lift his baton and I still haven't got my music sorted, please do help me. Please come to my, don't wait to be asked, just mess in and I will thank you profusely. Because I think if, if my being slow and fiddly, because my fine motor skills aren't brilliant. If I'm being slow and fiddly with something, if if you said to me, "Can I help you?" and I said, "No, thanks, I'm fine," well, what happens to the conversation? You shut it off. It's a yes no. It's it's not a yes and. If you say to me, "Can I help you?" and I say, "Yeah, please, could you could you just turn that round to the you know just explain what needs to be done, even if they make a big zero of it, it doesn't matter. Uh, and you've done a yes and then because you've you've continued the conversation otherwise they're just standing there going
0: well, how long is she gonna be you know exactly exactly that's how we use we apply improv in our everyday life as well yeah. just really, yeah. are you a musician
1: I play musician I play the tenor horn in a brass band a marching band
0: wow that's wonderful and you're still doing it you're still well it's not still doing it I used to play
1: the trombone. Wow. But the trombone, when you have a left, a will, left arm, it's tricky. Uh, It's very tricky if your arms feel weak or asymmetrical and I wasn't getting, I couldn't lift the instrument high enough to get a decent note out of it. And I'd only started playing the trombone when I was 61. So I'd only been playing it for about six years. Um, But I went to my teacher and I said, so he went to the went to the band cupboard where we hire out all the, the the instruments and he said he handed me a tenor horn i don't know if you know what a tenor horn looks like it's like a baby no it's downstairs i'm sorry but it's like a baby tuba it's a tuba that's about this big and you, you cuddle it basically you take yes. it in a warm embrace and you play it beautifully you don't play the same kind of parpy notes as the trombone. Well, I did to start with, but it's much more lyrical and much more beautiful instrument. And so I've been playing the, the tenor horn since. I changed to the tenor horn as a result of having Parkinson's. And he said then that I'd made more progress in six weeks than I had in six months on the trombone. <laughs> it's like six years on the
0: trombone. So. Six years. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I should have started with adult instrument straight away.
0: But I'm I'm a musician
1: in that I can hold and I can hear a piece of classical music and recognise it. I can hum along, yes, reasonably tunelessly with um, with things. When they they have those quiz shows where you you do it, they they stop the music and then you come in, you know, later and have to finish singing it. I'm I'm pretty good at those. So,
0: I'm oh really.
1: Just, musical but I'm not a musician as such
0: well that tells me you'd be wonderful at musical improv
1: well
0: people, people get scared when they hear musical improv but it's so easy and wonderful especially if you have a musical background it's yeah. a lovely form of improv so well if there's
1: no if, if it's like our uh, verbal improv and there's no fear of failure then uh, right, right. You you know, can, what can happen if, if no if no blood is drawn and nobody's hurt what's you know what's the harm in trying
0: and you know you don't have to have a great voice to do musical improv you know if you've seen the show whose line is it anyway in in the states we have a fellow named colin mockery and uh and i think he's originally from scotland maybe anyway uh you he doesn't have a great voice but what he does have is a hundred percent commitment
1: yeah there's um a section on this this show i was telling you about i'm sorry i haven't a clue called um Um, you you sing a song, the words of a song, to another song's tune. So um, my favourite is the the girl who sang um, How Much Is That Doggy In The Window to the tune of um, Come To The Cabaret. So uh, let's think. How much is... How much is that doggy in the window The one with the waggly tail and that it's just and they they seem so that's the sort of thing I
0: love, brilliant. well, I'm going to turn you on to more of this, Allie, in our future okay. talk. <laughs>
1: well, I'm very keen to explore more improv, but as you say, you can go to too many classes and you can end up doing too many things, but
0: yeah, every, every, every professor, every coach, every teacher has something different to teach and, and um, I, I just love it and I love teaching and I especially love interviewing people like yourself that brighten my day and I know oh, brighten the people that are listening to this podcast. Yes.
1: Thank you.
0: You have been a lovely guest and I think you're going to be on again sometime because oh, I hope so. You just touched the surface. myself. <laughs> what? <laughs> I behave myself. Oh yes, you're behaving just properly. Who was it that said, oh behave yourself? Um that was a tagline from somebody, but uh-huh. yeah. anyway, um thank you, thank you again. I'll be seeing you uh in Robert's class. And uh I've just enjoyed having you here. You're giving hope and inspiration to many people out there, especially those people with Parkinson's disease and their care partners.
1: Lovely. Thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you.